This is Anxiously with Amy and Lisa. Now here are your hosts, Amy and Lisa. Welcome everyone to Anxiously with me, Lisa. And me, Amy. So there is so much happening constantly to make us feel very stressed out and anxious. And we are going to talk about it all from getting old to being afraid of getting sick to COVID to kids to everything. And we're two friends who have been friends for such a long time. And a lot of our time is spent talking about the things that scare us. And now you get to listen in and be a part of it. So how are you feeling, Amy? Um, anxious. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how about that? <laughs> it's funny. I just read an article the other day that the film, the cinematic masterpiece, Home Alone, is 30 <laughs> years old. Oh, my God. <laughs> and so I old. saw that on opening night in the theater. That's a lot of years, and that <laughs> threw me into an existential crisis. Yeah, that makes me feel very bad about myself, I have to say. <laughs> I saw it in the theater, too, and I remember it clearly. I've been feeling so old lately. I'm on Zoom meetings all the time, and whenever I'm on Zoom, all I can do is stare at my neck and all the saggy wrinkles I see there. I feel like the poster child for Nora Ephron, and... <laughs> Yeah, I just I feel bad about my neck. The other night, I noticed wrinkles on my forehead that I had. It was literally like they appeared overnight, and I had a total meltdown. I like ran to my husband, screaming about wrinkles. It was very disturbing for him, I'm sure. And he was like, "Oh, you probably were just like crinkling up your forehead a lot." Like, (laughs) I was like, "Okay, maybe," but also probably wrinkles because yeah, I'm not young anymore. This is like a a source of a lot of anxiety for us. I feel like things like this keep happening. Like, So the other day, I was talking to some 20-somethings I know, and we were discussing the show The Crown on Netflix, which I love. They didn't know who Princess Diana was. (laughs) Like, like, It was like they were discovering for the first time that there was this princess named Diana and had this marriage to Prince Charles. And meanwhile, I remember watching the royal wedding. I was a very young child, but... and. They looked at me like I was ancient or an alien or something like that. You know, now, like, when I'm trying to make myself feel better, I do some online shopping. And I've started to think about whether the clothes I like are appropriate for a woman in her 40s. And there's this dissonance between how I feel and my age. And I'm not quite sure how I'm supposed to feel. I sort of hate having those thoughts because it feels so against everything I believe, (laughs) like that there should be an age limit on clothes. But yeah, I think there is this very real truth to the fact that women in middle age become sort of invisible and you start to wonder, you know, am I less desirable? Is that why the bartender is not paying attention? Back when we went to bars, um, (laughs) (laughs) is that why the bartender is not paying attention to me? What are we really afraid of? I mean, is it just aging or is there something more? That's a really good question. I think there is more to it because I, I wrestle with whether I'm as relevant as I used to be. I don't have like the same facility with all the cultural references that I did maybe 15 years ago. I'm somebody who likes to think of myself as very plugged into pop culture. Like I I love consuming pop culture, but lately like when the Grammy nominations come out or the VMA is like, I I don't know anyone. (laughs) And I'm like, oh no, I, I am becoming my mother when I made fun of her for not knowing who Nirvana was. Like that's like very scary. 
So we are feeling uncomfortable about aging and not altogether sure where we as middle-aged women fit anymore. I have to say, Lisa, every time you say middle-aged, it is like so triggering for me. (laughs) I feel so anxious because in my mind, it's like, I'm not middle-aged. Like I'm fighting against that to the nail. And I don't know when I'll be ready to... (laughs) Except that I am. I'll be like 80 and be like, no, I'm I'm not middle-aged yet. So we're feeling really anxious about not being cool anymore. So we are going to turn to the coolest person we know. Remember when there was a department store on the Upper East Side called Barney's where you would just walk past the windows to get all there was to know about style and fashion and cool? Yes. Well, those windows were dressed by Mr. Simon Doonan. He's an author. He's a judge on NBC's reality show, Making It. And he's the king of cool. We are so excited to have him on the show today. So, Our guest today is the only person in the world who has window dresser in his bio. And because one dose of Dunan is never enough, you should also read his new amazing book, How to Be Yourself, Life-Changing Advice from a Reckless Contrarian. Simon, welcome to Anxiously. Hi, thank you for having me. We're so happy to have you. We're both huge fans of yours. I mean, from way back. Yes. So you write a lot in your book. You write very passionately about the devastations that the internet and social media in particular have wrought on all of us and how they've really weaponized external approval and made us sort of all powerless in a way, powerless to exert our true selves. I actually eschew social media as much as possible. I hate it. So I'm totally with you. But how do we fight against this? Well, that's actually one of the things that makes me anxious is if I'm around people who are very self-critical and very anxious about, oh, should I wear this? Does my bum look big in this? You know, if I'm around women in particular who contend, as encouraged by the internet, to be overly self-critical, it actually makes me anxious. And that motivated me with a couple of my books. I wrote Eccentric Glamour wacky chicks, celebrating people who actually didn't care what other people thought. And that's been a big focus of my life. And I'm not quite sure why, but it actually literally makes me anxious to be around people that are very nervous and self-critical and needing huge amounts of reassurance. Because you think, oh my God, no matter what I told them, they'd still be having a go at themselves. You know, And I think the internet, social media makes that worse and it encourages people to see themselves as not groovy. One of my favorite passages in your book is that scene where a woman, you know, dressed in an outrageous poochy outfit sees an iguana and exclaims about how ugly it is. And you say that the iguana was just, you know, fabulously itself. I love that story so much. It made me wonder, what do people do when they don't feel fabulous being themselves? Well, what I tried to do in my book was I kicked it off with that story about the iguana because I wanted to cast a very wide net. In that first chapter, How to Look Like Yourself, I focus on a broad range of people. It's not about fashion at all. It's got really nothing to do with fashion. It's So I included people like Robert Mueller, looks like it himself. That's true. Like an archetype of conventional Brooks Brothers preppiness. And then I have Young Thug, you know, and I have Simone de Beauvoir, and I have Louise Bourgeois, 
So I wanted people to understand this has got nothing to do with fashion. This is to do with, it's not even to do with style. Because if you don't, if you're not interested, then that's good too. Be unstylish with conviction. As you get older, I think your look coalesces and you get your, your look together. And it should be something that pleases you and makes you feel good and really not, not of concern to other people. And if you find yourself asking other people, well, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? Stop seeking assurance because they're not going to be honest. And why do you care what they think anyway? It's all subjective. So I wanted to sort of hope that first chapter sort of liberates people to sort of go all over the map. You know, when you watch an old film noir and you see Lauren Bacall or Gloria Graham, they're not saying, do I look okay? Is this okay? Should I do they just got a light. So take inspiration from film noir. I love that. That's good advice. So do you think people can become irrelevant? Like, is that a thing even? Like, it, you know, obviously there's so much anxiety around aging, but what about sort of this pop cultural lack? Of- well, I think it's very siloed now. So I watch the American Music Awards, the Grammys, Ammies, Bammies, all of it. <laughs> and... Um, there's a certain feeling, oh, I must be au courant, you know, I must try. Because I was a child of the 60s. I saw Jimi Hendrix perform. I went to the Isle of Wight Festival. I've seen everybody. I used to go to all the early Bowie concerts. And, you know, so I was always that person, all the punk stuff, you know. I was early on that, too, in London and then in L.A. So I try to keep up. But I think you've got to recognize that it's, it's a very fragmented landscape. The same thing happened in fashion. There used to be these things that would come along like leopard print, and then suddenly it was all leopard print. I think as long as you're aware of the different silos, then you're not going to be completely tragically out of it. <laughs> you know, at least you can, you could write on the silo what was in it, and then you would have your own personal favorites. So you, the advice in your book is for people of all ages and genders, and you do acknowledge that women might read some of the advice differently or process it differently. And I want to know, is there something different about women, the way we handle and process growing older and no longer being seen as desirable? Because there is definitely a thing about middle-aged women you know, we're not, we're not, I don't know, is it all in our heads? <laughs> right. Feeling like, are we not as visible in some way or, yeah. Yeah. There's so many aspects of being a girl and being a, that are more complex than being a boy. I remember when I was, my sister's a year older than me. And I remember opening the door to the bathroom and she just started menstruating and she was wearing sanitary towels with, um, I'm sure she's going to thank me for saying this on on radio, (laughs) but with the the harness that came. Oh, the belt. Yeah, that was old school. And so I said, what are you wearing? You know, and she said, I get periods every month and they hurt and it bleeds. And I was just like, (gasps) horrified. What? And I said, does anything happen to me? And she said, nope, nothing. <laughs> you get sperm. And I said, does it, does it hurt? And she said, no, it feels good, actually, apparently. Like, and she was so irate at having to. So, And then she, because it was the 60s, she then got very into Buffy St. Marie and Joni Mitchell. And she be- was becoming a hippie chick, you know, with the hair and um, the attitude as well. Cut to, there's my mother 
who's wearing a long line girdle, even though she's skinny and smoking and nylons and a garter belt and high heels always and done up like Lana Turner in a film noir. They were not even the same species. So there was this chasm between the generations back then that you don't, certainly don't see now where young girls swap clothes with their mothers and blah, blah, blah. And I remember thinking, wow, it's so complicated. Like my sister, poor thing, she has to go from this to basically becoming a drag queen, you know. <laughs> and when she hit 13, my mom went out and bought her a girdle because like, here's your girdle, you're 13. And I remember my sister threw it at her and threw it like, here's your damn girdle. And like this girdle was <laughs> flying back and up, up forward between them. But like, then my sister was the first person to get a hold of a copy of The Female Eunuch. And then I read it, my mother read it. We all read it. My sister and my mother bonded because my mom was very feminist in her own way. Like when she joined the Royal Air Force, she ran away from home, joined the Royal Air Force. And they said, well, what can you do? And she said, I want to be an electrician. And she, they said, that's a man's job. And she said, no, it's not. Watch me. And she became an electrician, one among 2,000 men who were trained as electricians, the one woman. And so she was that person who was, there was no discussion with her. Like she was tough from Northern Ireland. Like I say, left school at 13. So that's what I grew up with. I grew up with like with feminism, the I guess second wave feminism of my sister and my mom was really like first wave, you know, because she was born the year women got the vote. And so, yeah, being a woman is really complex. Men are just like stupid Labrador dogs who (laughs) walk around and, you know, pant occasionally. And, And women lead these much more complex lives. That's why I think they're better at communicating with each other because they have to talk to somebody because they're having these multiple complex pressures. And I've always been very aware of that, I think, because of my upbringing with my mom being that way and my my sister. Are we correct in feeling anxious about getting older because there is some perception that as women age, they become more invisible or less desirable or... I notice that now with myself. I'm not a woman and I'm certainly subject to a fraction of what the average woman might face in that department. But I've noticed it, you know, I used to have a cute bod and like it wasn't hard to get a bit of attention hither and thither, you know. And now I'm like, people think I'm, they say, good morning, madam, when I go to the airport. You know, because I always wear a cross body bag. and It's very real. Jermaine Greer, when she reached a certain age, she embraced her hagdom. She said, I'm, mm. I'm ready for my hagdom. I'm going to be an old hag. I don't care. <laughs> and she, when she was young, was stunning, absolutely stunningly good looking, very tall. And I used to work on Savile Row in one of the tailor shops, and she had her office nearby. And we'd see her in like a silver fox coat. And wow, she was just a head turner. But she embraced her hagdom, and um, that's how she. Did it because it's real. It, it, it is different. Women are. I did this book on drag, and uh, in it, I quote Holly Brubach. She wrote this book about drag, and in it, she said, Women have retained ownership of the visual realm. Hmm. So, by that, she means nobody really cares about male stars, maybe Brad Pitt. People are looking at the women. You know, if a super glamorous woman walks into a restaurant, everyone's looking. You just show up. I remember, like, the supermodels were like that. Linda Evangelista, super glamorous and very 
conscious of the fact of not being, everyone was looking at her and she owned, you own the visual realm. We see that with women models paid a lot more than men. Women own the visual realm. So it's not a hard concept to grab. There's no equivalent to women's folk. There's no, you know, women movie stars, blah, blah, blah. What are you wearing? No one asks men that. There's a terrible price that you pay for that owning of that visual realm. The power that comes with owning the visual realm for women is then the power ebbing away as you the fall. <laughs> people stop even noticing things. But it's very different. And I think um, there might be some truth to that. It's interesting too now, like I feel like all these fashion magazines have fabulous at every age, you know, they, <laughs> which I always find a little bit demeaning, but also like, I think they're trying to be empowering and I think it is a good thing, but oftentimes it'll stop at like 70, you know, they'll be like, oh, Helen Mirren. And then that's it. <laughs> and you're like, well, what happens after that? <laughs> yeah, well, no, oblivion. What advice would you give for when we and other women or anyone starts to maybe spiral out and feel super worried about, you know, aging and and not feeling relevant? I think, you know, style is a great defense against that. When I say style, I mean like a signature flourish. You know, if you look at those old pictures of Diana Vreeland, she had a lot of signature flourishes. She would put rouge on her ears and the black helmet hair and then the two Verdura cuffs. And she wore the same thing every day, but that was her armor and the red nails all done. A little signature flourish, I think that helps. It could be a beret. It could be unusual eyewear, you know, especially in Zoom culture now. So anything that's above the waist is great. Like uh, Western shirts. I have a lot of vintage Western shirts. They're great for Zoom calls because all the embroidery's up here. So a signature flourish, I think, and then think of the women who got old, but kind of, you know, like Catherine Hepburn, she turned into a very stylish, she embraced her hagdom in a stylish way. She had a million facelifts and, you know, she was wrinkled and gray hair and lots of it in a sort of loose thing on her head. And she did sort of artistic San Francisco art collector lady, her look, you know, this, I guess it's when you try to still look like you're going to the prom that that's when you might conceivably, I hate to be, I'm not mansplaining, but just objectively, that might be problematic. Like look at the women who are like Eileen Fisher, you know, she's a really incredible person. She's fabulous. And her clothes are amazing, you know, like, and she looks great. I'm not sure how old she is, but she looks fantastic and very simple and architectural, a little severe. Being a bit more severe, I think can be good as you get older, a little tough. You know, everybody should have a biker jacket. Hmm. Do you both have biker jackets? Lisa, you do, right? Well, you have a leather jacket. Yeah, but it's red. Oh, it's not. Okay, we need to get biker jackets, Lisa. Now, now we, we have our marching <laughs> but I order. did. I did start wearing like a safety pin. Oh. Oh, see, you're getting totally <laughs> punk rock. But a totally. biker jacket is a classic. You should have one. It does make you feel a bit tougher. You wear, can wear it over a dress. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, and if it's you just something to take the chill off when you're doing a Zoom call, just pop it over the shoulders. <laughs> I could see how that's empowering. I could see that. Clothes are totally empowering. Well, look, think of the resonance of a biker jacket, you know, Marlon Brando. I'll have to update my references, but you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Well, we know. (laughs) Those references resonate with us. (laughs) Well, this was so lovely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, my pleasure. 
Well, that was a lot of fun. That was so much fun. Simon is so wise. He really is. Do you feel better now about aging and relevancy and all that? Can I say no? <laughs> yes. I mean, <laughs> hagdom. Nobody wants ha- We don't want hagdom. I don't want hagdom. I'm not ready for it. I do want to get a black leather biker jacket. I think you should. You should. Well, maybe I'll let you get it first. <laughs> You can, like, model for me virtually, <laughs> and uh, I'll see if I want one, too. I, I was thinking that I should get some fabulous scarves because I like that idea. That's a good idea. I will say I find fashion and style things that lower my anxiety. Like, I will, even people watching on the street, which we don't get to do as much anymore, but in New York, it's fun seeing what people are wearing. It's, like, artistic expression. It is fun. Shopping always lowers my anxiety. <laughs> I know. Oh my God. Is that like, <laughs> is that the most princessy thing that we've ever said? No, it's not. Probably but. is. <laughs> yes, that was a very princessy thing to say. I know that shopping doesn't heal actually or fix any problems actually, but it is fun to acquire something that lets me express myself in some way. I think Simon would agree wholeheartedly. It's a way of kind of building identity and creativity. So there's definitely more to it than the acquisition of a pretty dress or something like that. Yes. Shopping for better or worse is is therapeutic. I mean, retail therapy, we didn't make it up. Speaking of which, what's happening in your life now that's making you a little more relaxed and a little less anxious if it's not the motorcycle jacket yet? I've taken up a new hobby. (gasps) It's a little bit embarrassing to admit to, but I've decided to start collecting antique glass bottles. Wow. Wait, why is that embarrassing? Just, it seems a little out of left field, I guess. Do you feel like anti- like that's something old people do? <laughs> Maybe. I just bought this Civil War era soda water bottle that was made in St. Louis. And, you know, there's just something really cool about having this object that connects me to the past. I can imagine who might have used this bottle And there's just something really fascinating and fun about it. Oh, my God. That's amazing. See, it's not at all embarrassing. It's like an increasingly cool-sounding hobby. (laughs) You have to keep me posted and send me pictures of all the bottles. I will. How about you? What are you up to? So I hate exercising. But what I hate even more is that when I do exercise, I feel better afterwards. Like, (laughs) like, damn it. Like, why is that real? So my sister actually got me a free trial for this online dance service called Obey, O-B-E with an accent. I have to say the classes are pretty fun. I'll do them with my sister virtually. Like she'll be, my sister is an amazing dancer. So like I already feel bad about myself going into it, but thankfully she's like a little box on the screen. So I can flail around in my apartment doing what I do. And I actually love to dance. And, you know, it's like 45 minutes and I feel better. That's so nice. That sounds really fun. Yeah. So after all that, I hope you're feeling a little less anxious. I am. Listening to Simon talk is so calming and I feel he imparted really fantastic insights And I do feel less anxious. How about you? Yeah. Yeah, I do. And, you know, maybe next time we'll be on in our respective uh, leather jackets and scarves and (laughs) (laughs) feeling great about ourselves. So until next time, what is it you always say to me when we're both freaking out and trying to help each other through it? I know you get it. Yeah. And we know you guys listening get it, too. See you next time.
Anxiously is brought to you by Tablet Studios. Our producers are Josh Cross, Sara Fredman-Ader, and Robert Scaramucci. Our music is by the best band in the world, Low Cut Connie. Please rate and review us on iTunes so more people can find us. It really helps. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at anxiouslypod. And if you have feedback or questions about the show, email us at anxiously at tabletmag.com. For more information about the show, head to tabletmag.com slash anxiously and check out all of Tablet's podcasts at tabletmag.com slash podcasts. See you later.